If you have your Bible, go ahead and find with me the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We have been in, first, in a series in the book of 1 Peter, just going straight through the book of 1 Peter. Find that, chapter 2, and then hold your place there for just a moment. Uh, would you agree with me that we are seeing an uptick in our nation and in our world of pressure, anything from pressure to persecution against Christians? There's a growing hostility in our nation, in our world against Christians. It should be no surprise. Uh, Jesus said this would happen. The Bible tells us this will happen. But to, to know that and to see it happening is, is something else. And especially when we're dealing with circumstances related to our government. Uh, did you know right now, the most recent surveys show that Americans as a whole, Americans as a whole, do not trust the government for just any decision. Only 2% of Americans say that they trust the government across the board for anything the government would say. That's a pretty low percentage. Uh, 39% that the, said that they trust the government most of the time. Getting a little bit better, but not, not great. Uh, we have a very uneasy relationship with our government, especially as Christians, when our walk with Christ will grow increasingly countercultural to the culture around us that the government favors. Uh, and that, that, again, should, should be no particular surprise. A man named Mr. Label in the uh, UK, not in America, but in the UK, but still a Western nation influenced by Christian principles, uh, came under fire when on June 29th he tweeted a response to an image that had been on social media uh, on the Pride Parade in the UK in his area. Now, Mr. Label is a politician. He's been serving as a council member and politician in the UK for many, many years. Very active, very trusted, and also a very strong Christian. Uh, and when this image came across his Twitter feed, he tweeted back, he responded, to, this is what he said. He said, quote, When did pride become a thing to celebrate? Because of pride, Satan fell as an archangel. Pride is not a virtue, but a sin. Those who have pride should repent of their sins and return to Jesus Christ. He can save you. And then he also cited Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9. He said, For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves, end quote. So that's what Mr. Label treated out, uh, tweeted out as a Christian in response to images of the pride parade. He was immediately uh, suspended from his position in government, and he, was, he had seven different organizations cancel his positions in those organizations immediately. But I thought... Being a Christian was accepted uh, across Western culture. I thought we had freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Well, not when a small but vocal democrat demographic is starting to control the narrative and what our culture believes, especially what they believe about Christians. This is not a lot different than what was happening in the first century in the Greco-Roman Empire when Peter wrote the letter that we're in. You'll remember he is writing to Christians who have been displaced because of persecution, a persecution that will ultimately uh, end in his own martyrdom as well as the execution of the Apostle Paul, both under the emperor Nero. 
But at the stage that he's writing this, that persecution is really just getting going. It's a government-sponsored persecution. And Christians have been displaced out of their homes. They've been moved to another, another region called Asia Minor. And he's writing to those Christians. And when he does, he includes all of us as believers in Christ. Remember, we, we've been reminded about three times so far that we are, in fact, a displaced people. We're not home yet. If you're a follower of Christ in this world, you're serving Christ in this world, but you're a citizen of heaven. You belong to Christ. So he's constantly reminding us of that as well. But he writes to these believers, and, and you remember last week, he, he made this statement, conduct yourselves with honor among all the Gentiles, honorably among the Gentiles, that is non-Christians. Conduct yourselves with honor. Well, now he's going to expand on that, and he's going to talk about relationships, a very specific application to relationships. He's turning the corner to another topic, and from this point that we'll look at in chapter 2, starting at verse 13 this morning, into chapter 3, he's going to apply these principles to relationships, starting with government. Because for the people of God in the first century, that was a tense and difficult relationship. The government was coming to bear on them, both with pressure and persecution. And it's something we have to keep in mind. What is our relationship with the government? Especially, we mostly had a friendly relationship. Our nation was founded on biblical principles that aligned with Western culture through the ages. What if the government changes its mind? What if it turns the other direction? What if the hostile world we live in continues to get more hostile toward Christians and it's motivated by the practices of government? What should our relationship be to the government then? What should it be now? Because as we'll see, the, the principles that Peter's going to apply, apply right now. They apply always. Just because the condition of culture changes or the decisions of the government change does not change who you and I are in Christ or how we apply biblical principles to our relationships, especially with the government. So look here with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse 13, picking up where we left off last time. So Peter says this, he says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise, and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone, love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, as Peter makes this turn into the application of our walk with Christ in these various relationships in a hostile culture, he invokes a principle that he's going to apply every step of the way. He'll talk about home life relationships. Today it's government relationships. Uh, he'll talk about uh, marriage relationships, children, employers, employees. All of these begin with this principle, and it's this fundamental principle. He, he starts with it, and then he's going to apply it over the next several weeks in the passages that we'll see. It's called the principle of submission. The principle of submission. We see it in Peter, we see it in Paul, we see it even in the life of Christ. And the principle of submission basically means that we understand there is an order among equals. And there is a God-designed order among equals. Uh, it's important to understand that, that in this context and in the New Testament when it's applied to Christians, submission does not refer to being um, a doormat. It does not refer to subjugation. 
It does not refer to caving or, or being passive in the culture. That's not what it means. What it means simply is that you decide you will submit to God and His authority and therefore every structure of authority that God has designed. That's why he says, first of all, submit to every human authority. The phrase every human authority could be literally translated every creature. Every creature. See, it's a, it's a principle of creation. There's an order among equals, and God started it with creation. Uh, that, that, that human beings understand there is a structure, there's an order. Because if we're all created in the image of God, if we're all equal before God, if we're all saved as Christians the same way, we still have to know how to lead, how to walk, how to guide, how to live, how to make decisions. And we need a structure to life and a structure to being uh, to our country and, and how to live as a citizen. So, so that's he's invoking that principle of submission. Submit to every human authority. This is why. Because of the Lord. And he uses that term to mean because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of your relationship with Christ. Because of your relationship with Christ. You don't submit because the government is worthy. You don't submit... Because other people want you to. You don't rebel because other people want you to. What you do as a believer in Christ, you do because of your relationship with Christ. Because any time you practice the principle of submission, as Peter will unpack it this morning and in the weeks ahead, whenever you're practicing the principle of submission among God's creation and God's structure and God's order, you are doing it because first and foremost, you are submissive to Jesus Christ. Did you know that, that that's one of the, the ways you, you come to faith in Christ? A person who is saved must acknowledge God is God and I am not. And if God is God, and Christ is Lord, and He is our, my Savior, that means I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I must submit to what God has said, and I must submit to Him as my Savior. Surrender all, we sing it. It's the same idea. So understand, Peter is not telling you to be a doormat to culture. He's not telling you to surrender all your rights uh, under the law. It's not... A, this is about, your first and foremost, your relationship with Jesus Christ that guides your other relationships. And practicing the principle of submission means that you are first and foremost submitted to Jesus Christ. He's the primary authority. So this morning what we want to do is see what he says about submission to government. And I want us to look at three reasons why it's so important. So God calls us, every Christian, to practice the principle of submission in all of our relationships. This morning we're going to look at three reasons to practice the principle of submission in your relationship with the government. Some of you are thinking right now, I don't want to do that. This can be difficult stuff. You think it's difficult for you, living in a free society? Think of what it was like in the first century. Three reasons, Peter says, to practice the principle of submission in your relationship with the government. The first reason is God's design for authority in the first place. God's design 
for authority. Uh, Peter says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor uh, as the supreme authority or to governors or those sent by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Again, he, he, is, he is describing the nature of government order and structure and culture. Uh, the very establishment of, go, uh, of government, of human government, came after the fall. See, the reason we have human government, the reason we have law enforcement, the reason we have military, let's admit it, is we are sinners. That came after the fall. But even so, a, a government rightly structured, as our founders did in the United States, reflects on God's order in creation. And God is the supreme authority. God is the, the, the first and foremost authority, and we take all of our laws and actions from him. That's why in a republic like ours, the law dictates what we can do. Not the majority, not a monarch, but the law. Just like Scripture teaches, in keeping with Scripture. So, First Peter says, God has a designed authority structure. And he gives an example. He says, now listen, Christian. Uh, you submit, because of Christ and your relationship with Christ, you submit to all creatures, starting with the emperor. Now remember, ultimately, this is the emperor that would have Peter executed. But starting with that emperor in Rome, and emperors in the first century were pretty generally hated. And for good reason, they were all crazy. And they thought of themselves, most of them thought of themselves as gods. It was, a, it was a basic practice of the first century, basic understanding that the emperor actually had several titles and one of those titles was son of a god or son of God. So there was an emperor cult. All throughout the Roman Empire, there were places people would go once a year to worship the emperor. And when they did that, they, had, they received a certificate saying they'd shown up and they'd worship the emperor. Then they were good for another year. And most of the people in the Roman Empire didn't care. The Jews refused at the outset, but the Romans gave them a pass because they were weird. They were Jews and they worshipped one God and nobody understood that. So the Jews got a pass on it. But then the Christians come along and most of the Christians are saved out of that same pagan culture. And then they refuse to call Caesar Lord. They refuse to show up at the emperor cult. Not only do they refuse, but they adopt a different cry. Their cry is, Christ is Lord. Well, you want to ruffle some feathers. That's the way to do it. So as the first century went along, Christians had targets on their backs just for being faithful. To their walk with Christ. And the emperor knew about this. And persecution came from Rome all the way through the empire. And even so, Peter says, submit to the emperor. He's the number one authority in God's structure of authority. The apostle Paul would say, as he wrote about government, God is the one that decides who sits in that chair. God ultimately, if we believe in the sovereignty of God, then we believe the sovereignty of God over all nations. And God is ultimately in charge of every nation and every government. 
So because of the Lord, you submit to Christ, then therefore you can honor the emperor and his position as well. And he says, then those he sends out, governors, uh, and the term covers a lot of offices in the Roman Empire and the Roman government, offices uh, uh, staffed by people who would be sent out. We would call, they were called prefects and, and proconsuls and all kinds of positions, but they were sent out into the empire on behalf of the emperor uh, to rule over small segments of the culture. When they were there, their job was to implement the laws and, if necessary, punish wrongdoers while rewarding the people that did good. And this, in this passage we just read and the next one coming up, the word translated good could be literally translated do-gooder. People that do good things. Good things that are good things for everyone. Not just for themselves, but they are beneficial to society. They do things that are beneficial to society. So the job of government, and the scripture bears this out elsewhere, the primary job of government is to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. To make sure that your life can thrive as long as you are not a criminal and, living, and you're living a good life and you're doing good things for culture and society. So Peter says, think of it that's what, that way. That's God's structure. God has these people out in the empire. You know who they are. So, so here's the bottom line. Let them catch you doing good stuff. Now we're going to see a theme that starts here and runs through the rest of the letter of Peter, 1 Peter. And, and it's, it's also that don't be caught doing wrong. If you're a follower of Christ, show up and do good. And therefore, if people ridicule you, they'll have to make stuff up to do it. If they say you're doing evil, don't let it be true. If they've got to criticize you, let it be because they hate the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have to admit it. So, when you submit to that authority structure, you are acknowledging that God and God alone is the ruler of all creation and all Governments. One time, you'll remember, one time Jesus was asked a question. Religious leaders brought to him a Roman coin. A coin that bore the image of the emperor. Because remember, the emperor thought he was God. A coin that bore the image of the emperor. Should we pay taxes with this coin? Now the problem the Jews had was not so much paying taxes, although they did have a problem with that. They had a problem paying taxes with a coin that bore the image of the emperor because that was idolatry. And they knew it. They knew to take that coin and to pay taxes with it was to acknowledge some kind of, uh, 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 of superstition around the emperor that he thought he was worthy of being called God. So the Jews would often refuse. It was a, it was a very tense thing. So they were hoping to trap Jesus. What they were hoping was, if he said, yes, you need to pay taxes, the Jews would turn against him. If he said, no, don't pay taxes, they were hoping he'd get arrested for treason by the Romans and be hauled off right then and there. What did he say? You know what he said. Render unto Caesar, as in the King James, the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. It shut them down because it acknowledged, first and foremost, God is in charge. My allegiance is to God. And like it or not, Caesar is lower than God. There is an order, there is a structure. God established that. I live within that structure, and that's fine. 
Because it's more important that I serve Christ. So first, the first reason that we submit to the government as followers of Christ and because we have submitted to Christ is because of God's design for authority. God's design for authority. The second reason is God's will for morality. God's will for morality. Verse 15, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Now and then, Christians, we often say, gosh, I wish I knew what God's will was. I wish I could find God's will. I want to do God's will. I just don't know what God's will is. What we really mean is I want to do something, and I'm trying to figure out a way God will let me do it. Now, I'm trying to figure out a way God will rubber stamp this and say that it's his will. So I've been searching the Bible looking for that because the thing is the Bible is populated with passages just like this that tell you exactly what the will of God is. And almost all of them start with morality and ethics. If you'll make choices according to God's ethics and morality, things usually come out right. It's when you try to figure out a, a, a runaround to what God wants, or you want God just to validate what you want, that things don't work out all that well. But the Bible is full of statements just like this. Here is God's will. You can't miss it. Look it up. You'll find them everywhere in the New Testament. Here is God's will. So Peter says, this is God's will. What is it? That you silence, the term literally means muzzle, the ignorance of foolish people by doing Good. Here's that principle I mentioned a moment ago. You are doing good. You are beneficial to culture. You are doing the right thing. So if people pressure you, persecute you, or come against you, they're going to have to make stuff up. And the, the very behavior of the believer should be such in line with God's will, loving people, doing good, that they have to make something up. Otherwise, you just muzzle them by your behavior. God's will for morality is that it, it starts with us. It starts with our surrender to him. It starts with our desire to do what is right. The phrase ignorance of foolish people catches a term frequently in the Bible that basically refers to people who don't believe in God. Let the people in the culture, let the people in your workplace, let the people in schools, in your family, who don't believe in God, who ridicule you, let them see you doing godly things, living a righteous life. And if, you, if you're of an inclination that you bring, by morality, you, you think, well, I've got to bring the Bible to bear to their lives. My, uh, a lot of times our perception of Christian morality is telling other people what they're doing wrong. But notice Peter's perception of Christian morality is living right. And some of your Bibles translate that term good with the term right. It means doing right things, doing good things that are beneficial to all people. Uh, I'll put a finer point on it. If you work one of those jobs that people give you a hard time for wearing a cross or taking your Bible or having it in the desk or maybe you're worried about the direction that company is going, you can silence people by being the best employee on site. 
Honor God, not because the company is so good, but because God is so great. And you have already decided to submit to God your work, your school, your family. Be the best employee there. Then if they let you go, they're going to have to make something up. Or they're going to have to admit that we just didn't like him or her because she was a Christian. See, it doesn't mean you're, nothing's going to happen. What it means is you are honoring Christ first and foremost. Now, before I get too far away from this, I want to point out something on these first two reasons. God's design for authority and God's will for our morality. Two, two th- a couple of things that are very important. None of this means that we do not hold the government accountable for our rights, for doing right things. It's okay to hold the government accountable. It's okay to hold the workplace accountable. If they change the rules, go ahead and say, I haven't changed. I've been here X many years. I've done nothing wrong. You change the rules. Let's just be sure we're clear on that. It's okay to hold people accountable, to hold governments accountable, to hold institutions accountable. But when you do, remember, you are, you are surrendered to Christ. You are submissive to Christ. You're not trying to argue a case or win a competition. You're just making a point of what's right. The second thing to remember, especially with government, is while Peter and Paul both tell us to submit, to apply this principle of submission to our relationship with the government, it does not apply if the government requires us to do things God has already said we should not do. Nor does it mean we should do things God tell us, tells us not to do. That's why the first century Christians didn't show up at the emperor cult worship. Yes, they were submissive to the government as far as that went, but they were submissive to their God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were going to worship no other God. doesn't matter what the emperor said, he's not God. So remember that balance there. And then last, the third reason, we should practice the principle of submission with government, is God's plan for our liberty. God's plan for our liberty. Look at verse 16. Submit as free people. The the phrase could mean submit then or therefore as free people. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. This is kind of a, a difficult, maybe even uncomfortable verse for us. So I'll break this down just a bit. He's reiterating the principle of submission. Submit as free people. Because in Christ you have been liberated. You have been set free to honor Christ in all of your relationships, including the government. So you submit willingly and voluntarily to Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus, the Son of God, submitted willingly and voluntarily to the Heavenly Father and to the plan of God to carry out in human history the redemption of humanity. They are equally God, with the Holy Spirit, equally God. The Son of God submitted to that order among equals. We are to do the same. We submit to Jesus Christ and we choose voluntarily in our freedom to live life, now set free of sin and death, we can submit as free people. That's what the Bible refers to as liberty. We are set free in Christ. You serve a greater government, a greater king, the Lord of all creation. And now you are set free, not to prove yourself to anyone, but to serve Christ and to follow his will on earth. 
So when you do that, you choose submission in these other relationships. But there's, there's a caution here. Don't use your freedom in Christ as a cover-up for evil. In other words, don't, this is what he means. Just because you're free in Christ doesn't mean that you get to do anything you want to do. It doesn't. In fact, instead, you voluntarily, willingly submit to Christ, his morality, and his ethics. This is the point that can get a bit sticky. Because a lot of Christians think in their heads, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want to do. Monday to Saturday, I'll live like I want to live. Makes no difference whatsoever. Come back on Sunday, prove that I'm a church person. And off I go. Peter is fairly pointed about that. The Apostle Paul was outright angry about that attitude. He said, absolutely not. That's absolutely wrong. He said, it insults grace and insults the cross of Jesus Christ. He has saved you from your sin so that you could serve him. Yes, he set you free from sin and death. Yes, you're saved in Christ. But you're not saved to do whatever you want to do. You're saved to do what he wants you to do and to serve him. This is where it gets a little uncomfortable. So Peter says, listen, you're not free to just do whatever you want to do. You are God's slaves. Some of your translations might say bond servants. That's an uncomfortable word in our culture, isn't it? And yet the Bible consistently teaches that when you came to faith in Christ, you became a bond servant. It's the same word of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why. He set you free from sin and death. You were in bondage to sin, bondage to death. When you were set free, you were not set free to do just anything you wanted to do. And when you were saved, your life was tied to Christ. You're saved because of his life. You have life because of his life. So now you serve the king. You serve the one true God of all creation. Isn't that good news? Now you and I get that in this culture. Think about it in terms of the first century culture. In the first century, for the first time ever, masters and slaves... We're worshiping side by side. They would get saved. They would come to church together. A lot of times in the first century, slavery was so prevalent, slaves owned slaves. And they're all coming to Christ. And while the culture says there is this hierarchy out there, in Christ, they are one and they are equal and they are submissive to Christ. So the slave says, I will stay home with the master, not because of the master, but because of Christ. And the master says, I will take care of the slave, not because the slave deserves it, but because of Christ. I have been set free to do what Jesus wants me to do, to love people the way Jesus wants me to love them, to serve the culture and community the way Jesus wants me to serve them. I've been set free in Christ. And I serve Christ. I serve Christ. Most of us think of our salvation, let's be real honest, most of us think of our salvation as a one-time event. We come forward, we trust Christ as our Savior, or maybe we do it at home and we come forward later, we're baptized. That's right, good for you. You should follow through with believer's baptism, become a member of the church, serve God here. But we think of it as this one-time event. I want you to change the way you think of it. Okay, I want you to change the way you think of it. I want you to start thinking of your service to Christ as you are now his, you belong to him. He dictates what you say, where you go, what you do. You serve Christ. 
You have been set free from all those encumbrances of the world, set free from sin and death, but not set free to do what you want to do. You have now been set free to serve the true, one true master of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go home and think about that. And then ask yourself and ask him, Jesus, how am I doing? Are you serving your own personal interest? Or are you serving the call of Christ? Are you making decisions based on what you want? Then, then occasionally maybe may asking your Lord, your master, what he wants. Or are you daily, even by the minute, even getting with him and saying, what shall I do, master? What, Lord, do you want me to do today? Lord, how do I solve this problem? Lord, what should I do in this relationship? You are my master. You are my Lord. I'm free to serve you. What do you want me to do? It's a big difference from the way most of us think about being a Christian, isn't it? So Peter wraps it up. He says, let's just understand this order, this structure and culture. Here's what he says. First of all, honor everyone. You honor people because they are God's creation. It has nothing to do with whether you like them, whether you agree with them, whether you vote the same way or not. You honor everyone under Christ, because you are all God's creation, all bearing the image of God. Honor everyone. But then he says, love your siblings in Christ. You know the Bible teaches that we should favor one another? We should. We should love on each other. Believers in Christ should love believers in Christ. And it's okay now and then to say, you know, I, I, whether or not... <laughs> How you feel about other people, I'm honoring them, but I love my siblings in Christ. And it's a choice, a behavior that we adopt, an attitude that we choose, that we love these siblings in Christ. He doesn't say like them. He says love them. Love those siblings in Christ. And just in case you're wondering, 30 says, fear God and honor the emperor. He didn't say fear the emperor. No, no, no. You have but one to fear. There's only one person you should ever fear, and that's God. And it's a healthy fear. It's a good fear. It's a fear where you bow down and say, you are God and I am not. And just in case you wonder, yes, honor the emperor because he's the emperor, not because he's deserving of it, but because you fear God. You serve God, okay, then honor the emperor. Believe it or not, believe it or not, Nero was created in the image of God. A fallen, despicable, insane man who would ultimately take the life of some of the great leaders of the Christian church. But still, Christians, honor him. Don't fear him. Don't be afraid of him. But honor him. Because of God's structure of the government, God put him there, whatever God's reason, God put him there. So when you honor him, you're honoring him as a creation of God and as the person that God put in that place at this time. Christians, we have a higher calling where the government's concerned. If you're a believer in Christ, understand this. We have a higher calling. We serve our God, our King, who is above all others. We may not always agree with the government's doing. And in our country, we have the privilege of voting and the privilege of choices. But whether it's a monarchy or a republic, the principles still apply. We serve our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we make our decisions accordingly for what he wants. 
There's a saying in the United States of America that while we may not uh, always favor the president, we respect the office of the president. You heard that before? It's the office itself. Uh, president Biden has a, has a problem apparently choosing pets. Uh, I don't know if you've read lately, this is, he has the second German Shepherd since he's been in the White House. The first German Shepherd, Major, his name Major, started biting people, so off he goes. Uh, the first one, the second one, Commander, is now biting people, and, and regularly, aggressively, put one person in the hospital. What's interesting is his choice of targets. <coughs> United States Secret Service agents. Now, I don't know if anybody explained to him what a Secret Service agent is. Elite law enforcement, always carrying a weapon. I don't, I don't know if, if, if anybody explained that to him, but it's becoming such a problem that now there's talk, or there, there are people volunteering to retrain commander or take commander. Uh, and some are, experts are recommending that they just muzzle commander. But if you read about this, this is the fascinating thing. I've yet to read a Secret Service agent complain about Commander. I've yet. I've yet to hear them say, even the, you know, thought, if you could record their thoughts. You do know I'm carrying a 45, right? I mean, that's a, if, you, if you could record their thoughts as they stand at post, as they're exactly where they're supposed to be, guarding the President of the United States and his family, and then they're attacked by this dog. But there's no hint of retaliation on their part. You know why? If I could speculate, because they know they serve a higher purpose. They're not going to belittle themselves by retaliating against the president's dog. They're not going to go out in the press and complain about it. They're going to show up for duty. They're going to do their job. Because that's what they said they would do, and they're good at it. The Lord Jesus Christ isn't asking you if you like the culture or the government. The Lord Jesus Christ isn't asking you if you're favored at work or at school or if you're popular. The Lord Jesus Christ is calling you up to a higher calling, a greater purpose, a bigger picture that you serve him wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you serve Christ. And no one, not even the government, can change that. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. But I want to pray for you that are, that are in a situation where right now it's, it's difficult, it's hard. Maybe it's your employment, maybe it is the government, maybe it's friends or family, but you're a Christian doing your best to live for Christ right where you are. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to pray for you. Would you lift your hand up where you are? You're in a tough place right now. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, you see us. You know our hearts. You know where we live, where we work, the families we're in, where we go to school. You know all these things, God. And Father, first I pray, God, you would forgive us for in any way diminishing our service to you right where we are in these relationships. God, forgive us for that. But also, God, I pray for us, for those who raised their hands, for some who did not. 
But for all of us, God, I pray that wherever we are, wherever we're doing, you would liberate us again. You would remind us again that we serve Jesus Christ in that relationship right where we are. We are there because you want us there. We are there to serve you. Father, give us that bigger picture. Widen our hearts to remember we serve Christ. And I pray for the problems that we face. I pray for the problems we face with our employers, with our government, with our family and our school. I pray for those problems and those people who press upon us, God. And I pray, God, you would help us in those relationships. I pray, Father, for those that press us who are lost that need Christ. And I pray, God, that our good works, our behavior, would show them what it means to follow Christ. Help us to keep that number one, God, that we serve Jesus wherever we are. I pray for those of us who need to make a decision for Christ today. Maybe there's one or two in this room that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. Maybe one at home that would trust Christ today. And I pray this prayer with them, a prayer of faith, to, that today they would repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. I know that I've been serving myself in this world. And God, I want to serve you. So, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me, for my sins, and you're alive today. And I repent of my sin, confess to you I'm a sinner. And today I ask, God, you would forgive me of my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, cleanse me, that I might follow Christ all of my life. Father, other needs and burdens we have, other decisions we need to make. We give this time to you, God. I pray for each one of us here, Father, whatever decisions we need to make, we would follow through in faith with that today. For those who need to join fellowship with First Baptist Church, for those who need to take that next step of faith into ministry or missions, for those, that God, that would follow through in believers' baptism, we give you this time, God, move in our hearts, move in our midst, move in our homes, that today we would step up in faith and follow Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.